Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? You are listening to The Big Cruise Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 40, yes, 4-0 of the Big Cruise Podcast. My name is Baz, I'm your host, and uh, well, it's incredible that we've got to episode 40. And uh, we've had uh, a lot of interaction over the last week, so a few shout-outs before we uh, welcome Chris into the studio. Of course, Chris will be joining us with his usual maritime history and uh, cruise news. And we've also got quite a lot of listener questions to, uh, to get through today as well. Um, but first of all, a quick shout out to Steve in Sydney. Steve, back in December, you did uh, support the podcast in the uh, Buy Me a Coffee endeavor. If you're not familiar with that, uh, for the cost of a coffee, about $4, you can make a donation and you can do that as a one-off uh, coffee or $4 donation, multiple coffee or uh, multiple uh, dollar donation um or you can do an annual subscription and um, it's really very very simple and it just gives you some additional uh, content uh, some additional uh, bonus uh, material and uh, is a way that you can show your support and uh, keep the podcast on the air so there is an advert somewhere in the podcast that explains it in a little bit more detail but to steve and sydney thank you mate um your donation was very much appreciated also a quick shout out to neil and gary they commented on facebook and uh, linkedin about our prediction that the uh, the pacific princess was going to find its way to azamara the uh, we it was said it was just a gut feeling there was no official notification that we knew of at the time of going to air with that podcast, but uh, my gut feeling was right, and uh, it did find its way into the uh, hands of Azamara, which is great news all round. And also a quick shout out to Gavin, who uh, found us for the first time. He's a first time listener that found us through uh, through Facebook. And whether you have been listening from episode one or whether you are only finding us now, episode forty, um, thank you for finding us. Thank you for for liking and sharing uh, the podcast. And if um, you can think of anybody that would uh, really enjoy this podcast, please do send them a link. Um, very easy to do so. And um, recommend that they uh, take a little listen to our podcast. We'd really, really appreciate that. Of course, lots of stuff going on in the, the cruise industry as ever. So we will head straight over to Chris in just a second. Uh, but thanks for listening, guys. We really um, enjoy your interaction. Thank you for sending in the questions. And if you do have a question yourself, you can send it through via the website, thebigcruisepodcast.com. Click on the link in the top right-hand corner, which is listed as Join the Show. And that is where you can enter your question. And if you want to, enter your ship that you would like to review. I will invite you on to have a little chat about uh, one of your most recent cruise experiences. But without further ado, let's get straight into episode 40. Enjoy. I'll speak to you shortly. And once again, at the start of every show, we welcome our good friend to uh, to join us to talk all things maritime history and cruise news. Chris, it's Friday. Welcome back. Thanks so much, Baz. Good to be back again. Yeah. Now we had um, had some great feedback about um, your cruise maritime history from from last week when we talked oh, about cool. the 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 idea of cruising way before um, the the PNO 
uh, head of P&O had a, a ship even. So, yeah, uh, it this was fun, isn't it? Those sort of stories. <laughs> <laughs> so George was listening and wrote in and said uh, he loved the idea of uh, the, the first cruise, but what was the actual first cruise ship and what was it like? So uh-huh, uh, over okay. to you, mate. Cool, cool question, George. Um, so... Look, I mean, we spoke last week about um, after when they first started doing uh, passenger ship voyages, you could do the Grand Tour by ship hopping. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was on ocean liners, which um, were designed, obviously, to undertake these line voyages between these different ports. So it wasn't yeah. really like a cruise ship. It was more um, you just kind of uh, sort of sticking together a cruise or a um, a pleasure voyage by using the ships that were already sailing. Yep. So that's quite distinctly different to the cruise ship idea that that, that we have now. And the, the cruise ships are built for a different purpose. They're built to undertake pleasure voyages year round. Uh, <clears throat> and it sort of like has this sense that it's a, quite a new idea, you know, cruising being something that we've been doing um, more recently in history, perhaps since World War II kind of thing. Um, and particularly with the boom that we had in the last sort of 20 years, it does sort of feel yeah. like a, a newish idea. But the first purpose-built cruise ship actually dates all the way back to 1887. Oh, wow. um, and she was a ship called the St. Son of her. Um, it was 70, just under 80 meters long. So it's by today's standards, very small ship. Um, and about 960 tons, carried 142 passengers, all in first class. Um, if you looked at a you can find pictures of her online, but if you looked at a um, profile of the ship, it sort of um, looks quite sleek. It's got two sort of passenger decks, um, a funnel in the center and masts. So she still had the auxiliary sails yeah. and was powered by a, um, a single screw propeller. But oh, wow. what's different, you know, about this ship is that when you look at her, you'll, you'll see she looks quite um, clean, quite streamlined and clutter-free there's no cranes and machinery on the decks and that sort of stuff and that's the reason that is is because she was designed specifically to be a cruise ship and the ocean liners were designed to undertake the line voyages but also designed to undertake cargo and mail Mm -hmm. transportation because there was no containerization or aircraft that could do it back then so the passenger ships basically did it all whereas since son of a was only designed um for cruising for for pleasure right. voyages yeah, yeah. and so yeah she was put into service in um, 1887 she sailed which was immediately a sort of a, a, a spectacle i suppose a bit, a bit of an attraction for people when she went into different ports they would uh, you know crowds would gather to see this novel idea of these people who were going to choose to travel around the world on a ship mm. for for fun um uh, or first class, um, not not because the standard of accommodation was anything like what we'd expect even in the in even the most basic cabins today, but because you had to be wealthy in order to afford to go on the ship. Basically, um, you know, this is in the era when uh, you know food quality would have been very different to now. Um, <laughs> there would have still been lots of reliance on preserved uh, foods as well. There, there was some refrigeration, but preserved foods and meats and stuff would have been common on the menu um of the two decks only one of the two decks had plumbing so if you were berthed on the lower deck you had to make your way up to the upper deck to use the the bathroom facilities um so no ensuite or anything like that um and of course you know lighting a lot sort of stuff ventilation would have been very different but 
you know, if you were going to be able to travel around the world for fun on a ship, you had to have the means to do so. And so therefore it was like a first class experience. Um, now what's really funny, Baz uh, and George is that while this ship was built to be a cruise ship and not designed to undertake line voyages or, um, cargo or, um, you know, transportation kind of activities. After she finished her cruising career, she was then sold and converted into an ocean liner <laughs> and finished her day sailing around um, as um, a passenger ship traveling from port from port to port. So, uh, you know, it was the early days. Uh, things have obviously advanced a lot since then, but she does hold that um, special place as the first purpose-built cruise ship. And was she sailing for a UK line, European line, American yeah, so she was uh, a British flagship, um, and she was actually operated um, and owned by a Scottish company uh, that nice. uh, sold the ship for its service as a, um, uh, you know, as a, a cruise ship. And yep. you know, uh, strangely enough, when she did uh, eventually uh, finish up with her um, service history. The ship had a, a, a bit of a sad ending, actually, because she was um, wrecked uh, in April of 1930. So, you know, remarkably, a ship from the 1880s lasting all the way through to the 1930s, but a sad end to her. But, yeah, she was operated out of, out of the UK when she was doing her cruising career anyway. Fabulous. Is there anything you don't know? We're still trying to, still well, trying to I'm find I'm sure there is, but maybe, maybe just not about this particular topic. <laughs> no. Um, I do get caught out, you know, like um, particularly when we do uh, the lectures on the cruise ships. Uh, there oh, yeah. are people who are on board who have obviously had, um, you know, firsthand experience with many ships that, you know, you can't possibly know everything about yeah. every single particular ship. And so you will get asked questions and I'll be like, I didn't even know that ship existed. But um you know, so far the listeners have been very kind to me, so I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> There's always going to be that one person on a ship that's just going to try and trip trip you up um, and try and. Oh yes, you. yes. Did I did I ever share with you my my story about um, my first ever lecture and the person who wanted to trip me up there? No. Do you want to share it with the no, listeners? Or is that it, off it, yeah, sure. No, no. I'm happy to. So my first ever talk was on the um, was on the QE2 back oh, yeah. in 2008, and it was about the history of the ship, and after the lecture um i'd never really done a a a presentation to such a large audience before the theater on qe2 held over over 500 people and it was a full house because it was the third or fourth last voyage of the ship and so i decided um not to do a open q a for my for my talk but just to say to people come up and have a chat afterwards yeah and um because you know such a huge audience how do you manage a crowd like that you know so um Afterwards, a whole of people came up to have a have a chat, and, and when QE two was built, and this is how they did ships back back then quite a lot, they actually did a steel hull and an aluminium superstructure to lighten the ship in order to allow it to carry more decks without having a deeper draft. Right, and so. the aluminium sits against the steel, and over time it would corrode. Those two metals don't don't do well yeah. together. So they developed a hypoxy liquid. And then would put the two metals together with liquid between them and then rivet between to hold it together instead of welding it. And um, there was something to do, like I'm not a, I'm not a, um, a, I don't have an engineering background, you know. So there's something to do with the way that 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 combination and the type of rivets that were used that allowed this to work and the ship not to corrode. So, of course, 
somebody comes up the front and asks um, very loudly in front of this big crowd of people who've come up to have a chat, um, what kind of metal was used in the rivets that held the aluminium superstructure <laughs> to the steel super uh, steel hull? And of course, I don't I don't know off the top of my head. Yeah. Yet. I'm gonna have to go and look it up. And this is the f- like the first question of the first lecture oh, at no. this big, you know, so that's like, oh, what? And then I hear this voice. <laughs> beautiful scottish accent you know i know the answer to that and everyone sort of turns and there's this man standing there and he explains this um type and you know i was so surprised the funny thing is i was so surprised that somebody knew the answer and sort of so overwhelmed by the whole situation that i don't even remember exactly what he said but he he answered the question he knew what he was talking about everyone was satisfied with the answer and then i answered the other questions about the ship's history and all that sort of stuff and then afterwards i went over to him and i said to him like how did you know that and he goes because he worked at the shipyard and he was the guy who was driving the rivets into the ship wow. to do that bill because on kiwitu's last voyages all these people who were involved in the construction of the construction. ship came back to say goodbye so the ship was full wow. of people who knew all these intimate details and so you know as somebody <laughs> who studies this sort of stuff you can you can um you can definitely learn a lot from people who were actually there that details that you just, you just can't get from, um, you know, from all the official documents and stuff like people just have stories that make it so interesting. That's one of the things I think I love about maritime history is the, the stories, the, the human connection that it brings. Um, but it is nice that even when someone, I mean, I think the question like that was probably also trying to trip up this, this you know new young young speaker as i was at the time um and 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 there was someone there who could come to my rescue it was really nice you'll never forget the rivets no no absolutely <laughs> um and and uh, i hope that uh that that man enjoyed the rest of his cruise <laughs> <laughs> now we have got a few other questions that came in um over the past week but i think we're going to jump straight into cruise news and we'll come back and do listen questions towards the end if that's all right sure no problem Okay, so we'll um, start off with um, actually we got quite a few comments from from listeners on uh, Facebook and things. Once the uh, news was announced that I was right in one of my predictions last week that Azamora was indeed you were. Uh, purchased by Sycamore, and uh, she's joining the Azamora fleet. Yes, yeah, so as you were saying last week, and I think you said that the, you know you're not nothing nothing official, but this is your your gut yeah, feel. Yeah, was that, feeling, um, yeah. Uh, Pacific Princess, which is one of the R class ships from former history of with renaissance cruises she was actually r3 built in 1999 sailed with princess cruises she's going across now to azamara um to join three of her other uh fleet mates yeah um so she's a 670 passenger ship and azamara has this new ownership structure you know it's been bought out and um they will be giving her a um, azamaraization i suppose a refit um before she enters service and she'll be sort of um, joining her, her three fleet mates to give them a four-ship four, four ship fleet. Yeah, joining in, in Europe of next year, 2022. Yeah. And not in the show notes there, but um, just yesterday it was announced that Orlando Ashford, who was previously the head of Holland America Line, he's actually joined the, the Sycamore Partners and uh, will mm. be helping re-establish the Azamora brand, which is great news oh, as well. Oh, fantastic. Cool. See, that's just it. Like you say, is there anything I don't know about history? Is there anything you don't know about the cruise industry? <laughs> you seem to get you seem to get these uh, these guesses right all the time, Baz. <laughs> <laughs> well, between us, we'll get there. <laughs> Listeners are in good hands. Um, now, uh, our friends at Viking have announced uh, yet another new ship. How these yeah. guys keep the building at the rate they do. This time, uh, another new ship for the Nile. Yes, absolutely. Um, it's another one of their 
um, longship class vessels, which of course are um, it's a bit of a play on the on the Viking longship name, I suppose, mm. because these ships, if you look at them, they're they're comparatively narrow. I mean, for a river cruise ship, it's the right it's the right width, of course, but they they look kind of narrow and long, um, giving them a very sort of unique sort of profile. They've got sort of a really nice. Um, shape to them and a nice outline. They've got lots of balconies on board, large suites on board, Scandinavian interior decors. It's the same sort of Viking experience that that um, the company's become famous for. Um, and there's a lot of them, hey, Baz? Like, they've got a lot oh, of river yeah. cruise ships. Um, yeah. And, yeah, another one um, to join the fleet, and she'll be sailing on the, on, the, on the Nile, which is another sort of boost for Egyptian cruising. Um, and she's got sort of those... Um, you know amenities that the other ships have got, including the the, the um, 360 degree view uh, lounge at the top of the ship, um, just over 80 passengers on boards. Um, so I think that's something to look forward to, and it shows the, I guess the uh, again the confidence that cruise lines have in the future because you know you order a ship doesn't mean yeah. it's going to be delivered tomorrow, but it does mean yeah. that you 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 do expect things to to rebound well in the future, which is which is great. It's good for all of us who. Um, are involved in and love this industry to see that the the cruise lines themselves feel confident enough to do this. Yeah, I mean, traditionally, I guess we see most investment in river cruising on the European waterway, mm. so it's good to see that there's investment in other waterways around the world. Of course, Viking announced they're doing the Mississippi as well, so you know, the, there's going to be a lot yeah. more choice when it comes to river cruising in the, the next couple of years, that's for sure. I think it's going to be called Viking Aton as well, isn't it? That's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's the name in case we, in case we missed that. <laughs> <laughs> now, a little bit closer to home, we uh, obviously had the Australia Day um, uh, celebrations and respect uh, last week. Um, mm. Now, normally that's a big event on the, the cruise ships that are down here, but we couldn't obviously uh, do that given that there was no ships in our waters. However, two popular ships, which are elsewhere in the world right now, did uh, take a moment to, to remember. Yeah, so, I mean, there's been lots of um, you know historic moments when it comes to um, Australia Day, with particularly with P&O Australia, like there's been occasions where the fleet has met in um, yeah. in Sydney Harbour. There was one time where um, Pacific, um, I can't remember which one it was, it might have been Pacific Star, sailed into um, Sydney with a huge Australian flag on the side of the ship. Um, That's right. And, and all sorts of other things. So they, they're very much like sort of uh, commemorate i suppose and 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 get involved in the australia day celebrations particularly in sydney uh this year of course the the fleet is well the fleet is of active ships is really only pacific explorer um they're also preparing to take on um, pacific adventure and pacific encounter but um, pacific explorers um laid up uh, up in asia uh but they uh, did have a um tradition on board the pno ships where they have a special australia day cake that's put together by the uh, chefs on board the ship and interestingly enough the the laid up ships still do have a team of um of chefs on board to look after the crew who are keeping the ship laid up um, and so they did um do their usual tradition and they baked this big cake and sort of celebrated on board the ship um awaiting their return to australia uh, hopefully mm-hmm. sometime this year mm. uh, and then the other one is carnival spirit which has been based down here for oh it's got to be Many close to now. a decade now um before the cruise port started um, she's also laid up um, up in Asia at the moment, and again has a, a crew on board who are who are missing Australia, I think. Um, and um, her captain sent a special message to to his crew, but also to um, Australian uh, past guests as well um, about um, how much carnival and carnival spirit 
um, love and miss Australia. So uh, it was nice that they spent some time to to commemorate the uh, the occasion on board the ships, even whilst they're laid up. Yeah, and as you say, two very very popular ships there with the the Australian uh, domestic crew scene. Oh. In the the small ship Australian crew scene, Coral Expeditions, which we've spoken about quite a bit, as uh-huh. they've uh, been one of the first to restart. Uh, they've just welcomed in twenty twenty one with a um, their the first cruise down to Tasmania. Yeah, actually, they've just completed it. I think is um, yes, that's right. Yeah, uh, is what's been happening in Tasmania, and uh, a sixteen night voyage went, went around Tasmania. Um, you know, small ship cruising, as you say, it's Australian flagged, so that's why it can operate in Australia. The, uh, the reason why ships like Carnival Spirit and Pacific Explorer can't um, is because they are flagged internationally. So the cruising ban that's here is for foreign flagged or internationally flagged cruise ships, uh, whereas Coral Expedition ships are flagged locally. And um, she was carrying 45 very lucky passengers who got to enjoy that voyage and um you know it sold out um early last year so uh something for them to have been looking forward to and and must be nice to get back at sea you know (laughs) and uh, experience a cruise voyage on on a on a locally based small ship yeah now to the other extreme um msc which has obviously uh, got a beautiful large ship fleet um they have uh, just restarted once again in uh, italy Yes, of course, uh, far from, from far from Australian waters. But, uh, yeah, Grandiose is back at sea. She's uh, doing her seven-night voyages out of Genoa. Um, and we spoke about that last week. You know, it's taking in a variety of Italian ports as well as um, on some of the cruises going out to, to Malta as well, which, uh, you know, gives them sort of a, an extra destination, I suppose. Um, and as we mentioned last week, you know, they, the MSC resumed cruising last year and, had had paused it periodically sort of due to um, outbreak flare-ups in Italy, not on the ships. Yeah. Um, but they have um, had over 30,000 people travel since they resumed. So um, it's not a small operation, but it is um, comparatively small when you look at the scale of the MSC fleet. But good to see her back at sea and uh, hopefully everything goes well for them. Yeah, actually, they put a video out this week of um, some feedback from people that had been on the, oh. the more recent cruises, um, and it makes really good watching. It's it's in multi-different languages, but I might pop that link to that in the show notes if people are interested to see uh, what's been happening on, on board Grandioso. Yeah, because I think a lot of people are asking questions about, like, what is it like to travel, you know, with the new COVID restrictions and stuff. So it's nice to get sort of an insight into yeah. um, into what it's like. And a few of the um, uh, cruise uh vloggers on youtube as well have uh have some good videos about that uh, i know um gary bembridge and emma who you've had on the show yeah. before have both done stuff about what the restrictions mean for passengers so uh, you can find that information it's, it's a bit hard to um to get you know widespread information because so few ships are traveling um and mm-hmm. the cruise lines all have their information on their websites but if you want to sort of get like a summary or a second opinion on it um you can check out some of those on, on youtube as well brilliant and um, in our last news of the week, Carnival, uh, which obviously has the, the huge fleets in uh, North America, in addition to Spirit and Splendor, oh. which are normally down here, they're doing a bit of a dancing of the, the fleet um, <laughs> as the cruising resumes, um, starting off with um, kind of delayed dry docks, I guess. Yeah, well, I mean, Carnival's made the news quite a bit um, in the last little bit because, um, and it's no, you know, for anyone who's sort of paying attention to what's happening in the States, it's no real surprise, but they did push back their, their resumption into April. So that's made... Yeah. That's made headlines, but you know, um, I, I couldn't. I don't think either of us would have imagined it would have been any earlier than that, given how things are going with COVID over there. Um, yeah. So, 
in your comment about the um, dancing of the ships, yeah, so they've got um, mag- Carnival Magic and Carnival Valor and then the older Carnival Paradise, which was the last of the fantasy-class cruise ships, which still in right, still yeah. in service. Um, they're all requiring dry dock work this year. And so what Carnival's done is they've pushed their resumption to service back until November of 2021. So it's clearly going to be part of this staged return to cruising. Not everything's going to just switch on on day one. Um, kind of thing and then there's a few other changes so um carnival miracle um she was planned to, uh, it was planned that she was going to do voyages from san diego um for this year but they've been mm-hmm. um cancelled she's been relocated to long beach which interestingly enough um the the carnival cruise terminal at long beach is right next to the retired queen mary that's um, correct, which is yeah. a hotel, and you know, I think we spoke about it last week. Sadly, the Queen Mary hotel operator has gone into Chapter Eleven, but the ship's still there, obviously, and it's um, it, it's owned by the city of Long Beach. So the ship, fingers crossed, should yeah. be fine. But it's, yeah. it's interesting because you have these Carnival Cruise Line ships coming in, um, parking next to one of the most famous ocean liners of all times, and the Carnival ships are just so huge that they, they even dwarf the Queen Mary. So it's, it's remarkable. <laughs> but so Mar- Miracle is going to then relocate to to uh, Long Beach. She'll then undertake her original voyages to Hawaii, but instead of departing from San Diego, she'll depart from from Long Beach. Um, and then she's also going to undertake a number of cruises to Mexico and more cruises to Hawaii, which were going to be, um, operated by Carnival Radiance, but Carnival Radiance is also going to need a dry dock. And so she's had her dry dock moved to September and that's kind of the reason why they've moved Miracle around as far as I can that's how I, that's how I've been able to decode it anyway. Um, <laughs> let me know if you if you interpreted it differently, Baz. But that's pretty much what I, what I, how I see it happening. <laughs> pretty much spot on. San Diego's gone. Um, everything's moved up to Long Beach, uh, where Miracle and eventually Radiance will be operated from, as well as um, the new ship that's also going to be out of uh, Long Beach, sailing down to um, Mexican Riviera on the seven night itineraries mm. as well. So, yeah, all uh, and a bit all of Queen good. Mary. Peppered in there too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> got to put a bit of uh, coulard in there where you can. Uh, just, Not um, technically coulard now, but uh, yeah, I know it's funny. You know, she's she's a well. Firstly, she's she's known as being this famous Cunard ship. But um, of course, when she entered service, it was Cunard White Star because the two had merged. Yep. And she's now yep. been um, she's now been retired for longer than she was in service. So she's wow. been a hotel ship for longer than she was an ocean liner. <laughs> incredible yeah right, we're sure. going to take a quick break chris and then we're going to come back with um our listener questions which were kindly sent in uh, via the the website sounds good hey guys did i mention there's a little way you can help keep this uh, podcast on air that's right, just for the cost of a coffee, uh, so about four Aussie dollars, about two pounds something, about two euros something, um, you can make a donation and that helps uh, keep the lights on and keep the, the podcast uh, producing in, the, in this weekly format. Um, or you can join up as a member and make a, a monthly uh, subscription and in return receive some incredible um, bonus material as well. Um, all the details are on the show notes of each individual podcast or you can head to uh, the website buymeacoffee forward slash the big cruise pod. And uh, we look forward to uh, shouting you out if you are able to uh, to make a little donation. Thanks in advance. Great, Chris. Now we've got uh, some 
uh, three different questions uh, from Emma, Zena, and Ian that came in via the website. Just a reminder, if any of the listeners do want to send in a question, you can do so via the website, thebigcruisepodcast.com. In the top right-hand corner, join the show and send in your question to uh, to us there. Sure. And uh, depending on who it refers to, we'll do our best to, to answer it. Now, the first one is probably a question directed a little bit more towards me. Okay. Emma, and apologies, Emma, Zena, and Ian. We don't know where you are in the world so if you can include that when you send a question through it just helps us to personalize it a little bit more but emma is asking are there any insurance providers covering for covid in their new policies mm. um and the short answer is yes um so up until about two weeks ago you couldn't physically take out a new insurance policy certainly here in australia the insurance companies have now in the last kind of week to two weeks um come out with their their new policies that'll be available for purchase from the end of january to the end of this month and um, the first one that has included um, cover coverage for COVID is NIB travel insurance. Huh. Um, now, as far as I'm aware, they're only available here in Australia. I don't think they're available anywhere else in the world. But in their, they have three tiers of uh, coverage, and certainly in their upper tier, uh, their premium tier of coverage, you are automatically included for COVID-related cancellations, expenses, etc. Um, and that is the first, and to this day, the only. Um, Australian travel insurance provider that is including it um, from from scratch. Um, if you are elsewhere in the world, Emma, honestly, I don't know, but get back in touch and we can try and find out if it's a different country that you may be residing in. Um, our next question is uh, definitely one for you, Chris. Uh-huh. Zena um, is uh, come up with a classic, actually. Uh-huh. Uh, it's probably not a cruise-related question, but it's definitely a Cunard-related question. She's saying, is it true that Cunard-operated hotels in the 70s? Anything worth sharing about this period of Cunard's history? <laughs> yes, that's a great question. Um, yes, they did. Uh, from Actually, from the 70s right the way through to um, the 90s, um, a variety of different hotels. Um, so in 1971, Cunard was um, acquired by the Trafalgar House Company. Oh, yeah. And yeah, so this was the first time. So Cunard had been um, an independent company, um, owned, owned itself, I suppose, mm-hmm. um, all the way through until the 1970s. And then it was it was bought out. And Trafalgar House already had some um, tourism and transportation interests. Um, and one of those things was some hotels. So when they acquired Cunard, they decided that um, Cunard would be sort of like their luxury travel brand. And Cunard actually got um, sort of expanded, I suppose, under this new ownership structure. And that saw some of the hotels that they owned uh, moved across to Cunard um, ownership. And then uh, over the years, they sold some and they acquired new ones. Um, And so there was actually like a period of time where Cunard, um, you know, for just shy of 20 years, Cunard ran the Ritz Hotel in London. Oh, wow. um, for for a decade, they ran the Stafford. They actually even ran the Watergate Hotel, <laughs> um, which of course is famous for all the wrong reasons. But <laughs> yeah. um, and and they had they had quite a few hotels. They had hotels in um, Pennsylvania as well. In a number of them in London, they had um, in some of the um, Caribbean ports because they had um, Cunard was actually expanded in this period to have. Uh, Caribbean cruise ships. Um, so you had the Cunard um, Adventure, for example, and then the Cunard Countess and Cunard Princess, which were built or acquired rather during um, Trafalgar House's time. So they had hotels nice. in Barbados and Jamaica. Um, 
Now the I actually have some brochures, Baz, from um, back in the in the nineties <laughs> um, that have this remarkable Cunard fleet. Because um, I think Zena said anything interesting about that period of time. So what happened yeah. in the like eighties and then into the nineties is that Trafalgar House kept expanding Cunard, but um, it was done in sort of like a um, in a bit of an ad hoc kind of way. So they had um, Kiwi Two, which was their luxury ocean liner and then they'd purchased um norwegian america line and, and integrated um saga fjord and vista fjord then they had the sea goddesses sea goddess one sea goddess two yeah, which yeah. now sail as the sea dream um yacht club ships yeah. and then they they also um they had cunard countess and cunard princess which were doing caribbean cruising they did an agreement with crown cruise line and operated crown dynasty and crown jewel um and sort of merge those in with Princess and Countess. So they had this like four-star cruising arm. And then they bought Royal Viking Line and Royal Viking Sun and pushed her across and operated her under um, sort of sub-brand with Saga Fjord and Vista Fjord. Then they had river cruise ships. So they had mm-hmm. um, ships, uh, uh, river cruise boats on the Danube and, um, you know, all those um, European waterways. They actually had about four or five different river cruise boats. And then the hotels. And so I've got this, these brochures from sort of 1992, um, 1993, 94, where it's got the Cunard fleet and it's this huge sort of sprawling list of ships and they've got sort of Cunard and then Cunard um, uh, Norwegian America and Cunard uh, Royal Viking and all these sort of sub-brands underneath it. And, of course, um, as the other big cruise lines started to become bigger and bigger and more, um, I suppose specialized it actually left Cunard in a situation where it was a little bit of everything to everyone but also nothing to anybody if that makes any sense like right, yeah, yep, it didn't yep. really have a very defined position and QE2 was really the one uh, QE2 and I suppose um, Sagafjord and Vistafjord to some respect because they had such loyal followings those ships yeah. and Royal Viking some but they were all like um, popular for their own very different reasons and the fact that Cunard ran them all was not necessarily the reason why they were all popular um and so trafalgar house actually eventually um uh got got well cunard eventually ended up in in um in different hands it was uh it was eventually owned by uh cavenia shipyards and then they sold it on in 1998 to um uh, to carnival but in that mm. period, sort of nineteen, the, the late mid to the late nineteen nineties, a lot of the ships and ventures and uh, hotels and stuff were were divested. So, um, I think by nineteen ninety five, Cunard didn't have any hotels anymore. They um, pulled out of the river cruising um, business, and then the fleet was the fleet was basically whittled down to five ships, five highly luxurious ships. They were actually the five of the ten top rated ships in the world at the time when Carnival purchased the line. And the luxury was what held Cunard together. But when Carnival bought the company, they basically said, no, the British cruise ocean liner experience is what Cunard is all about, which is, you know, fair enough. Yep. And then Kiwi2 and Vistafjord went across and stayed with Cunard as a brand. Vistafjord was renamed Coronia and given a big yep. refit. And the others, which was at that stage Sea Goddess 1, Sea Goddess 2, and Royal Viking Sun, they went to Seabourne, which was also owned by Carnival yeah. and became cruise ships for Seabourne for, for a period of time. And so, yeah, interesting period. Had hotels, had river cruise ships, had cruise ships, had a four-star fleet. Actually had a little cruise ship in Australia for about 18 months. Um, 
crown monarch. So it was a very um, sprawling sort of empire at the time. Um, and yeah, um, it must have been and interesting. Can I see to... that they also had cargo ships at one point? Might not have been in the 70s yeah, or 80s. Yeah, they but... did. They did actually. Um, by, by the, by the um, sort of time of Carnival purchase that they didn't have any uh, any cargo ships or anything like that. But as recently as the 1980s, they had um, they had a fleet of um, uh, roll-on, roll-off uh, ships. In fact, the um, the Atlantic conveyor, uh, which was um, uh, tragically lost in the uh, Falklands War, was a was a Cunard ship, um, oh. and uh, they had uh, they had cargo ships prior to that. Um, they also, you know, when it was um, uh, in the period before containerization, a lot of their um, smaller ships were what they call combination liners, which was uh, a, really a cargo ship that was designed with a small uh, passenger complement on board. Um, and you quite often would find these ships would, would ply the Atlantic between secondary ports. Um, right. So like not the, main, not the main terminal in New York and not the main terminal in the UK. And, and funnily enough, Baz, um, they'd have this sort of small 100-person or so um, passenger area on board the ship, like one lounge, one bar, one dining room, um, first class in some cases, but, but very private and that sort of thing. And so celebrities and politicians and dignitaries who didn't want to be on a ship with a thousand other people, just wanted to be left alone for seven days um, yeah. to get a bit of peace or to get some work done or whatever, they'd quite often travel on these combination liners because they weren't being bombarded all the time by people who wanted to talk to them or lobby them or get their signature or their autograph. And also when the ship <laughs> would pull into, I don't know, like a, a cargo terminal in, in, in London or in, um, in Southampton, they wouldn't necessarily have the press waiting for them as well. So <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of a secret way to travel across the Atlantic back in the day. <laughs> Similar to guess what we have in the South Pacific with um, Aranui, which does the uh, combination cargo and uh, oh. passenger transportation around the the islands of the pacific yes yeah know. interesting um we have got one more question and uh, this question came in from ian um ian said we've recently booked a baltic cruise for 2022 well done awesome news cool uh, one of the ports that they visit is now i always struggle with this one i think it's one monday um which is actually classed as the port for berlin uh -huh. he's noticed it's quite some distance to get into berlin any suggestions? Now, I haven't been here, Ian, but it's a question that comes up quite a lot um, in uh, the, the travel industry. Um, have you just out of interest, Chris? Have you been there? No, no, I haven't. No. Okay. Um, here's what I do know, and this is just from answering lots of questions over the years. Uh, yes, you are right. It is quite a distance from Berlin. It is about um, two hours by car, two and a half hours by train from the port into the actual city center of Berlin. And for this reason, um, this port of call is normally a late departure to allow you to have a good, you know, eight, nine, ten hours in the city um, and make the, the most of your time there. Oh. Of course, getting the transport as well. Now, again, for this reason, most cruise operators that go into this port also charter a train and train carriages and take pretty much the whole ship that wants to go into Berlin via this private train. And then you are broken off into various different groups to do either included sightseeing or you're given a map and you go off and do your own thing. So if you do want to go into Berlin, absolutely, yes, it's possible. But I would highly, highly recommend you take the chartered train, number one, because it's probably one of the cheaper options. Oh. And number two, it is chartered. So if there are any problems, they're going to wait for you. Um, Whereas if you were to take a car um, um, or just organize your own shuttle, you're probably looking, you know, a good two hours, 
possibly three of it's bad traffic, there is that risk that you might not make it back in time. But alternatively, if you don't want to go into the city of Berlin, and there's no reason why you, you wouldn't want to go in because it is beautiful, um, there is um, the, the small town of Rostock, which is um, uh, just on the river, so a little bit further up into the harbour. Quite pretty. Um, so if you want to have a, a traditional kind of German town experience, then uh, that may be an option if you don't want to go in to see... Uh, uh, Berlin and what's uh, left of the Berlin Wall and all the history kind of surrounding that. But uh, it's a great city and highly recommend that you do go in if you get the opportunity to do so, Ian. Sounds good, Baz. You know, it's interesting. It's, uh, it's episode 40 this week. This week and yeah. um, every, every week you sort of do this nice nice intros to like what my, my background and stuff is. But I don't know how many of the listeners, particularly new ones, would know that you've had such a, a long career in the travel industry. And so that's one of the reasons why Baz always knows the answers <laughs> to all these travel, these all these travel questions. I mean, how, how long has it been now? Oh wow! Well, I kind of left. I grew up in the UK, obviously, um, hence the accent. Um, <laughs> I went to uh, catering college. Actually, spent four years learning to do uh, the craft of hotel management, and then left. Had a little bit of work in the UK, and then decided randomly, I don't know where it came from, to go and work in a ski resort. I'd never skied. <laughs> I didn't speak French. I was off I went to the French Alps and I was a chalet host. So I was cooking and cleaning and entertaining guests in the French Alps in a beautiful resort called La Plan, which is very French. Not an awful lot of um, English-speaking guests were going there at the time. Did you learn um, French and- whilst you were there? I learned a little bit, uh, yeah. Uh, but more importantly, I learned to ski. And I'd never oh, skied yeah. before. I'd, I'd seen snow, but never really, you know experienced it and the the ski area of La Plan was incredible. Um, From there I then went on to work in the beach resorts and spent probably the next eight years going from ski seasons in the winter to beach resorts in the summer so worked all over the Med. Everything from Spain and the Spanish islands of the Canaries, the Balearics, um, to Turkey, to Italy um, and then in the mountains it was pretty much Andorra, France and Italy were the the kind of the mainstays and a little bit of Switzerland. and did that for, as I say, about eight years, then came to Australia and, uh, again, fell into a job in the cruise industry, which I didn't know anything about at the time, <laughs> I was back in 2003, and I've uh, been in the cruise industry ever since. And uh, my, my real day job pre to COVID was um, sales and marketing manager of the travel agency, um, one of the best cruise agencies in Australia. And uh, this podcast was born um, kind of just as a passion. And uh, obviously, we've met many, many years ago through... Uh, your connections with maritime history and yeah Cunard we did and, a uh, joint presentation at an aged care home <laughs> is, how, is how oh, was it was a retirement village i think it might have been as we when we we first met wasn't it <laughs> yeah i'm trying to think it must have been oh, 2006 2007 maybe yeah maybe might have been around about then yeah we actually got introduced i think through a mutual colleague um yeah. a long time ago and, uh, <laughs> yeah so for, for you know as far as, far as i've um until I mean that's some of, some of that's the first time all these years I've known you I didn't know about the um the ski resorts and stuff Baz so oh really <laughs> yeah you're um yeah it's, it's good it's it's just interesting to know um just how I guess how much uh sort of you you how long you've been involved in the industry for but also um you know you answer these questions about um cruising with with such such uh, authority and it's because you've you've done so many tr- trips and stuff in that travel agency role and um. Well, actually, that's a question that comes up all the time. How many cruises have I been on? Mm. And I, I'm not, I don't say this to brag. I actually have no idea. Yeah. I, I stopped counting at 50. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know it's more than that, but I honestly really don't know. And so I, I get the same looking thing. Looking back, I wish that I'd have kept a bit of a, a log or a yeah. record to, to be able to 
know. You could probably more. figure it out, but by the time you think about doing that, then it's like something else has come up and, <laughs> and the yeah. day's the day's gone. But uh, I get the same thing with the, with the lectures, like how, how many ships and, and, you know, I think people think I'm a bit funny when I say, look, I can honestly tell you I can't remember. But, but, yeah. but um, you know, that's just it. Like I think some, some, some people enjoy um, keeping track of, of, of all their trips and, and, and knowing exactly how many nights and stuff that they've been on board and other people just sort of it just becomes – um, well, up until yeah. up until the last twelve months, it's sort of just part of part of your life, isn't it? If you love love cruising, yeah. it's like it's like any other person with any other passion or interest or hobby. Um, it's not really something that you count by by the minute. It's just part of who you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, I think that's it for this, Chris. Oh no, we haven't talked about your videos. What have we? Uh, what have you got going out on socials over over the weekend? Well, last week's um, video was was a bit late out, and um, it's actually. Um, one that uh, kind of ties into what we were talking about before with the ships being laid up and it's um, who's still aboard the empty cruise ships. And what I've done here is I've looked at, um, you know, the ships are, uh, most of them, apart from the few that we've spoken about that have resumed cruising, most of them still laid up. Um, They look like they're kind of stationary for long periods of time. Um, and then they move around a bit and people wonder like, why is that? Or I get questions about who's, who's running them. Is the whole crew still on board? Is just a small crew still on board? Is there any crew on board or do they just, (laughs) they just get people on, on the ships when they need to move them and they leave and that sort of thing. So the video looks into all of that. Who's there, how they're running them, um, what the roles are, what the people who are on board are doing, how they're being looked after. So things like, um, who's feeding them. Are they in passenger cabins or crew cabins? So that video, yeah, it came up um, after the last podcast. So it's available now if you'd like to check it out on my YouTube channel. Yeah, and I have put the link to that on the, the, the Big Cruise Podcast Facebook page. And, of course, the link to your YouTube channel is always in the, the show notes so people want to go back and see the whole catalogue of different videos that you've put out um, over the years. Yeah. Um, so YouTube's also got this new feature. It's called YouTube Shorts where you can upload oh. – um, they want you to sort of have it around about 15 seconds or so, but like anything under a minute is considered a short video. Okay. And um, I'd never never um, tried it out before, but I, I had this video of the Queen Elizabeth from a couple of years back sounding its whistle in oh, yeah. Fremantle. And it's a 10 second clip. And I, and I stuck that up, you know, earlier this week, about four to four or five days ago to um, just to see how YouTube shorts works. And it kind of did, you know, maybe three or four hundred people looked at it um, in the first few days. And then yesterday, out of the blue, I mean, YouTube must have decided it liked it. And it's had <laughs> 61,700 people looked at it in, in 24 wow. hours. Um, got to listen to the Queen Elizabeth's epic whistle. So if you're missing the sound of the whistle of a ship, go, go and check that one out too. It's, um, it, it's only 10 seconds of your life, but it's worth it. <laughs> I'm gonna head there as soon, as soon as we wrap this up in just a second. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Chris May, always a pleasure. I am sure next Friday we'll be here very, very quickly and we'll have a whole heap of other um maritime history cruise news and listener questions. Always a pleasure. Speak soon. Thanks, Baz. That's all for today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Until next time, bon voyage. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? 
Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.